1 Corinthians 11, many passages that speak of the Lord's uh, Supper. We're going to look at this one. Paul writes and God speaks. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, pray through this time that you would give us a greater taste, a greater hunger, a greater thirst for all that is involved in this wonderful sacrament. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. The big idea this morning... And I invite you, if you have a Bible, please keep it open. We're going to walk through this passage. There's an outline as well in your bulletin that you can follow along with. Simply put, the big idea that we're looking at is that we hopefully would look forward to the Lord's Supper with both an awe, in a sense, a bit of a fear, even trepidation, wonder as we step into the meal, but also in eagerness, because the Lord Jesus says, come, so that we would have a healthy mix of the two of those together as we come to the table. First, we'll start with a bit of a background. Paul is writing here in 1 Corinthians 11. He's, say, two-thirds, three-fourths of the way through the book. And he's been dealing with a number of issues there that the Corinthians have had to deal with. You know, in today's language, they, they've been quite a hot, hot mess of all kinds of things going on, issues that he's had to address. And there in the midst of it, he's going to hold up a diamond. This passage, this description, the wonder of the Lord's Supper. Have you ever been out looking around in and in in literally maybe you were in a junkyard and you found a treasure there? It's in a sense what's going on here. Many years back, when I was at Clemson in grad school, I can remember coming home one night to my apartment late, about 11 o'clock at night, after an exciting day of doing some complex analysis and some proofs, maybe like the Schwartz Lemma. If you haven't seen that, oh, it's just so fascinating. So I come home, though. I've got books under this arm, and I've got some trash in this hand, and my, my keys wrapped around this finger. I go to the dumpster to throw the stuff away. So I throw up the dumpster, throw the garbage in real quick, and head upstairs to go into my apartment. And you guessed it, realize, oops, the keys went in the dumpster. Knock on a neighbor's door, can I borrow a flashlight? So get literally in the dumpster to find my keys. Looking around in there, and finally I found them 
like in a pile of, I think it was spaghetti or something, just nasty. But that was my treasure. I was so glad to find that in the midst of it. So Paul is saying here, look, uh, there's a mess of stuff going on in this real church with you real people. But here, let me give you this wonderful diamond here. And Paul says to them in the passage, he points out first thing with this diamond. He says, for I received from the Lord. And so Paul is saying, I didn't get this from the other, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, though it wouldn't have been bad if he had. He's saying, I got this from the Lord. And chronologically, 1 Corinthians comes written before the other Gospels. This is our first recorded account of the Lord's Supper. And then Paul points out, he says, on the night he was betrayed, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, amidst the worst tragedy in the history of the world, the Lord of the universe, the Lord Jesus, the creator, the word incarnate was slayed, was killed tragically. Amidst that, we glimpse the greatest diamond out there. The picture of the gospel itself given through what Christ did. On that last night when he could have said, guys, you know what? I know you guys are going to leave me tomorrow. You're going to deny me. You're going to betray me. You guys are just going to forsake me. I just want time to myself. Go on and get it over with. He says, no. I want to invest in you until the last minute that I have with you. And so, therefore, this will be an investment that will go on for thousands of years for the church. And that is what we participate in today. So some questions with this to frame our outline. Who, what, when, where, how, why. With this meal, some questions that so often come to mind. Who is involved in the Lord's Supper? Paul was speaking to the church. Jesus was speaking to his disciples. It is a family meal for believers. So those believers, in verse 28, it's pointed out to us to help us distinguish who should partake of it. It says, those who are able to examine themselves. Those who can examine themselves. And it's one of the reasons when a young person comes to join the church and to to become what's called a communicant member, meaning one who can partake of the Lord's Supper, we ask them, give us a testimony. Give us a profession of your faith. Tell us about you and Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? We'll often also ask them, and this is a, hey, behind the scenes, here's a test question, young person who, that might be coming for you. We'll often ask, tell us about a sin that you've confessed, repented of, or wrestling with. Why? Because that shows that they can examine themselves, where they can see my sin affects what Jesus had to do on that cross. So it's for believers, ones who are examining themselves. You'll often hear the term fencing the table, or maybe it's your first time hearing it. What it means is simply this. When we have the Lord's Supper... You could picture an invisible fence around the table right there. And that fence is to prevent those 
who should not be partaking of it. If you look at the end of this passage, there was some pretty heavy language about condemnation for those who should not partake of it. So it's to prevent, but it's also to protect. It is to protect those who should not partake of it so that they do not experience that serious type of judgment. We're going to talk more about judgment for believers, judgment condemnation for unbelievers. That is fencing, saying protect, prevent from those who are not believers. The table is fenced. Please don't come and partake of it. It's like in the, uh, the movie Sandlot. If you've seen that where the boys are out there playing baseball. And if they hit a dinger out deep to left center, where's it going? As Squints would say, that ball is gone forever, ever, ever. <laughs> because it goes in the fence, that fence protecting the boys from Hercules, that massive dog that grows bigger and bigger as the, as the movie goes along. But that fence was to protect them, not just prevent them from going in there. The other thing is, fencing the table here is to protect and to prevent, but not forever. We want all to come to the table. We want all to be believers and come to the Lord's table. There's one other instance that we could say where we'd say that someone should not come to the Lord's table. And that is when they're under discipline. Okay, discipline, what are you talking about? Your church does discipline? Yes, this church does discipline. And you should be thankful that it does. And fortunately, this isn't some, you know, behind the scenes, oh, there's 50 people and all these stuff. No, it's not like that. Simply put, discipline for the church is for the glory of Christ, the purity of the church, and to help that person who's under discipline so that they are reclaimed, so that they are restored, so that they are repenting as they should. So when someone is struggling with a sin and, and is showing signs of uh, unrepentance, then there are times where they're asked, please do not come to the Lord's table for a season. It's not forever by any means. For a season. So that you can reflect and see the gravity of your sin and that you will desire to come to this table. If you're not in one of those cases, the table is not fenced from you. Many times people say, well, but, but my, my sin is so bad, I, I don't deserve to come to the table. I, I shouldn't. In a sense, good. If you realize how helpless, how hopeless you are to atone for your sin, this table is for you. You are realizing the magnitude of what Christ had to do for you. But if you still say, my, my sin is different, it's, it's really, really, really bad. Well, brothers and sisters, if you're a believer and you're saying that, I'm going to be hard on you. I'm going to say, you know what? You're adding to your sin arrogance. Because if you're saying your sin is so bad as a believer that the blood of Christ cannot overcome that, you should be more ashamed. The blood of Christ covers every sin. Get your bad self up here. Christ says, come. What? So that's the who. What about the what? We love visuals. This is the word preached. That will be the word 
pictured. Pictured. We love pictures, stories, narratives, illustrations. This one involves all senses. All senses here in this picture of the Lord's Supper. Jesus, what he was doing at the Last Supper, he was taking the Passover meal. And in the Passover meal, there were four cups, for instance, that were passed around. Four cups of wine passed around amidst singing, prayer, a sermon, all these different things. After the third cup, Jesus broke in and and changed the Passover into the Lord's Supper. He took bread and he broke it out of symbolism. And he gave thanks. The Greek word there for gave thanks is Eucharisto, where we get the word Eucharist. So you might hear people speak of the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, Eucharist, Communion, all those different names for the same wonderful, beautiful thing. Minor technicality, if you care about this, okay? This is my body broken. This is my body given. Or this is my body for you. Which one is it? The Gospel of John says specifically that not a bone of Jesus' body was broken, okay? So some would say, don't say the body broken for you. The King James, if anybody has a King James in here, oh, he's going to go off on the King James again. No, stop doing that. No, not doing that. But just pointing out, the King James has the word broken in there. The other, <coughs> more accurate transcripts, have, don't have that. <laughs> um, but, so, most accurate transcripts don't have that word broken in there. And even when it does at times, that verb usually refers to bread, not the body. All right, so big deal. If somebody says this is the body broken for you, yes, in a sense, Jesus' body, though not a bone broken, it was broken on the cross, right? Pierced, broken, suffering for sin. Or you could just say, as this passage says, this is my body given for you or my body for you. Now, let's talk about the bread. The what? The bread. Why bread? There are numerous Old Testament references to bread as it being useful, the physical side that it provides. Hence, Christ, physical. Christ gives the spiritual benefit in association with that. Bread is satisfying in the way that many other things aren't, that it, it gives strength, okay, as Christ gives strength, say, against temptations and doing God's work. And we realize in this symbol that this was in the days before all the gluten problems, right? So bread was good until the book of Second Dietations, you know, right after Jesus rose from the grave and Satan said, well, I can't kill you. I'll curse gluten. That's how I'll get at the church, and gluten will be bad. But back then, before that, bread, good. So we believe good symbol there. For you, again, as you look at the passage, Paul says, Jesus said, for you, for you, believer, wonderful, wonderful words. Now, we won't go as far as, say, Joel Osteen, who said, just in the last week or two, he said, uh, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. 
That's a bit far with the uh, for you. But this meal is, does show the love of Christ in the depths that he went for you, for me. So we got the bread. What about the juice, the wine? What was going on there? And this interesting phrase there, he says, this is the new covenant. The new covenant in Jeremiah 31. What, what was it talking about there? So the old covenant, the Passover celebrated God blessed Israel, rescued them, saved them from Egypt, took them from the Pharaoh, uh, the Egyptians, the Red Sea. Wonderful salvation that they sing of and, and worship God. You have saved us. Amen and amen. And Jesus says, better than that. I save you, not just physically, but I save you from your sin. This is a new covenant that I provide for you. I rescue you and save you from your sin. Three other things that we could think of that the blood symbolizes. The blood reconciles one to Christ because it propitiates. What's, what's that word mean? Propitiate. That fancy word that means it covers the wrath of God. It covers it. Whoa, wait, you're talking about God being angry? Oh, isn't that in this culture, psychology, God shouldn't be angry. Yes, brothers and sisters, God has a righteous anger that must be dealt with. And sometimes it helps to think, you know what, maybe it's not so much what you or I think of God, but what he thinks of us. And that justice, that righteous anger that he has against sin must be dealt with. And the blood of Christ addresses that perfectly. It reconciles us to Christ. It also cleanses, as we would expect. If we have sin, if we're dirty, like a Macbeth, spots, but I can't get rid of it, cleanses us as nothing else can but the blood of Christ. And thirdly, this, it comforts in, in what sense? I was talking with a brother just a couple weeks ago, and he pointed out the phrase, the comfort of sin. We so often get stuck in sin because it's the old normal, it's comfortable and easy, and then we're just engrossed more and more of it, how bad that is. But the blood of Christ in this picture here says, no, put that off. And take the best comfort possible of sitting under the goodness of the Father. The cleansing blood of the Son of that blood shed for you. Another thing to consider as we come from different traditions. Some of you may have heard of what's called transubstantiation. Okay, what does that mean? We'll look at what uh, the Council of Trent itself said for, for Roman Catholic doctrine. It says, conversion is made of the whole substance of the bread into the substance of the body of Christ our Lord and of the whole substance of the wine into the substance of his blood. So as the priest does the mass and so forth, the, the bread, even though it looks like bread, actually becomes the body of Christ. And we would say, good in the sense that there is such a desire to have the presence of Christ. Amen to that. 
But the bread does not change. The wine does not change in its substance. It's still bread. It's still wine. It's still juice. Okay? Biblically, the body of Christ, when Christ took on flesh and blood, the body of Christ is at the right hand of the Father. It can't be here also. Okay? So that's why we would say no to transubstantiation, no to consubstantiation, if you know that view, the similar one with, under, around. Jesus' body is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Okay? Not being changed and redone and so forth in this. But here's a good thing. We're not just saying no, no, no. Here's what we would encourage and believe. Number one, it's, it's a remembrance, and I'm going to talk about that more in a minute. We are remembering Christ. But we also say this, the language of participating, partaking, communion says this. There is not a physical presence, but a spiritual presence of Christ in this supper. You know, one of the things that strikes me about that and I love about it, you know, the Presbyterians, you're the frozen chosen. Just sit there, you're just all in the head. No, you know what? spiritual presence of Christ. You want to call it mystical? Call it mystical. Call it spiritual. There's something special going on. We're not just the frozen chosen, just all in the head. There is something special. It's a mystery, and there are volumes and volumes written on it. But there is a spiritual presence of Christ in this meal received by faith. What what a blessing that we get to partake of that. I can't say enough about that. And it is beautiful and it's wonderful. All right, the, one, the when. I talked about the what, the when. When do we partake of this? Simply put, a lot of folks will emphasize, oh, do it every day, every week, every whatever. There are certain things that we include in worship services called elements. You should do this. You should sing songs. You should have a sermon. But we don't, Scripture doesn't say, sing four songs, sing six, what, preach for a half hour, preach for two and a half hours, do this. The Lord's Supper, it doesn't, the Scripture doesn't say, you must do it every so often. So Lord, uh, uh, Church of the Redeemer has decided uh, that we do it once a month in order to keep it regular and frequent. And so that in some sense, it, it doesn't become stale, if you will, that you just go through the, the motions with it. That's what we've arrived at. There are times where we debate and, and consider changing that. But that's where we land at, is, is once a month, the last Sunday of the month. Where? Where do you partake of the Lord's Supper? We'd say it, it is for believers, right? We talked about that. So we do it as a worship service. There are also times where we do it for shut-ins, this is an important sacrament. So if we have shut-ins of the church, we will go at times and, and do the Lord's Supper with them. Now, if there's somebody else there who's a believer, they get to partake too. Okay? This is a meal for believers. We don't just go just for that one person or, or so forth. So a challenge to um, young women in here, if I'm stepping on feet uh, at, at your wedding one day, don't, don't do a private communion service where it's just you and the groom the Lord's Supper is for believers. It's a, it's a family meal. It's a family meal there. Why? Why? 
Verse 25 says this. Do this. Jesus said that. So, Jesus is the author of this, and he said to continue doing it. That's why we have two sacraments, not last rites, not penance, and so forth, because Jesus said, do this. Do the Lord's Supper. Do baptism. Okay? It's important. Continue doing it. That's why we have those two. Then he said multiple times, if you see in there, in remembrance, if you look there in the passage, remember, 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 as best we can in our minds, in our hearts, to remember the pain, the agony, the love of the Savior. I mean, how, how good are you at remembering? I am just plain, you know, F minus at remembering. I have, Donna has a dish for me at the front door. My keys, when I walk in the house, are supposed to go in the dish as long as I remember. My calendar is full of reminders that pop up because I've got, if I don't have it there, I'm going to forget it. And Jesus is saying, this is a reminder. This is so important. You need to see it. You need to experience it. You need to do it. And it's more important than just the yellow sticky on the steering wheel saying, don't forget this at the, at the grocery store. It gets to the heart of the gospel. It gets to the heart of the gospel, and that's why Jesus wants to partake of it, us to partake of it. There's a phrase, this is probably 20 so years ago, but it sticks with me, that the Christ died so that I know die. I can't get it out of my head, but that's what the Lord said. Christ died so that I know die. And the, the passage says that we do this also to proclaim to the world. Proclaim to the world. What's, what's going on with that? We are saying in a gentle, gracious way, education's not the answer. Government's not the answer. More money's not the answer. We say that we have a God. He's not a masochistic God like the culture says. Oh, you get to abuse your child to take care of this. No. We're saying God is just. There is sin in the world, friend, and it must be addressed. In your worldview, how is sin addressed? In this one, we say it required a perfect sacrifice. And we proclaim that to the world until he comes, until Jesus comes again. We are looking back, remembering, but we're also looking forward with joy and expectation where Jesus said, I'm going to have the best party ever and you will get to partake of it and look forward to that. Look forward to that. Finally, the how. As we think of how do you come to the table? It's not just what you do, but how you do it that matters. In our family, we kind of joke around because sometimes somebody will realize, oh, I've done something wrong. I need to ask for forgiveness. But they go and ask that person. They say, please forgive me. <laughs> what? Please forgive me. As <laughs> if they're under obligation to forgive you with that kind of attitude. But we so often come to the table in a wrong way. Where it's just like, hey, just going through the motions. Who cares? There are some don'ts that the scripture makes clear that we do not come to the table. 
says we do not do it in an unworthy manner. In other words, in, as a ritual, for the sake of the ritual. Motion without emotion. Motion without emotion. There should be some feeling, some emotion as we come to the table. Not saying we got to be weeping or jumping into, but something that we're feeling inside as we ponder what's going on here. So it's not just a ritual. There's the phrase in Latin, ex opere operato, which means just by the work worked. We're not saying that this just takes care of itself by default, all that. There's faith involved. There's faith involved. And so we're called into something to experience something through faith in this. And we do it, we seek not to do it with bitterness or grudges. And that's a hard one. That's a hard one. So you realize as you're examining yourself coming to the day, well, I got bitterness, I got grudge against this somebody. Then after this, take care of it. You don't have to withhold necessarily right now if you will with, deal with that. Okay? But it's, it's bringing in an aspect that it's not just a me in Jesus, it's a we in Jesus. Okay? That's going on here. How also involves discerning the body. Discerning the body. What is that talking about? What body? Two choices. The body of Christ. Are you discerning the body of Christ like Jesus? His body shed for you that you understand what he did for you. Or the body of Christ, the church, meaning the importance of unity. The Corinthians were having a lot of troubles with unity. They were going and taking each other to court and all kinds of stuff like that. So unity is important. Which one is it? Is it A or B? Yes, it's, yeah. <laughs> Why can't it be both? That discern the body, Jesus, and discern the church. We need to realize the importance of both of those in order to come to the table. So as not to be judged, okay? So here's the point with that. You might be wondering, judged, well, wait, uh, how does that work? Um, so the word there, the first time it mentions judged, crema, means essentially discipline for the believer, okay? At the end of the passage, catechrema, con condemnation for the unbeliever, okay? So good news is, yes, the old once saved, always saved, security of the believer, that yes, that absolutely holds. This is saying judgment, though. Believer, we know the Lord disciplines those he loves. That's wrapped into this. And they were experiencing that. Paul's not bashful about it. He says, you know what? Some of the physical issues you're experiencing are because of the way that you're coming to the Lord's table. Now, they were doing some extremes. They had a love feast and then a, a, a Lord's Supper and the Lord's Feast. The rich people would eat the meal and have fun and have the party and the poor sitting there watching. And they might just even eat all the food and not even leave any for them. I mean, it was awful. Hey, yeah, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. So it was awful what they were doing there. But the point being, we realize there is discipline for believers. Okay? We want to be serious as we come to the Lord's table and take it in the right way. Now, that doesn't mean that we walk around now and say, oh, that's a pretty bad sore you've got. That's a broken leg. You're under quite a bit of discipline more than me. No, I mean, we don't know that. In John 9, Jesus says, who, was, who did the, the sin here, this man or his parents? Mm -mm, neither. Okay? 
There are times, obviously, where we suffer and it's a trial. It's not any sort of discipline or that. Okay? Just simply looking at this passage and pointing out what it's saying. So, as we move into taking the Lord's Supper, I want us to think about something that might help, helps me. We are to examine ourselves. And the examine ourselves, Dokamadzo has this, this, this terminology of, of a, like a woodcutter, a metal worker, a diamond cutter. You know, that diamond cutter is looking at the cut, clarity, carrots, all this examining. We need to examine ourselves. And here are three questions that you might, if you want, consider as you come to the Lord's table. The old acronym JOY, Jesus, others, yourself. How is my attitude towards the Lord Jesus? Jesus, is it just where, now you're my savior, I prayed a prayer when I was five, now I go do whatever I want to do. Or are you my Lord? And I've given everything to you. I love you. Jesus, how is my attitude towards you? Others, and this was super important for that Corinthian church and for us as a church. How's my attitude towards other people? In other words, it's not just me and Jesus. It's, it's we and Jesus, and that matters. How would you feel if you came up to the Lord's table here and then just somebody just runs up and elbows you, throws you a bow, and cuts in front of you? No, we wouldn't do that. But there's an aspect where maybe in some sense it is kind of happening in our minds, in our hearts. Do we get bent out of shape? Oh, they're just getting the type of music they want. Or this person's getting more praise than me. Those kinds of things are attitudes towards other people. I, I picture this with, with this monster I created on, on, the, on the baseball team I coached. Uh, I gave out an award after the game for whoever got the most bases. You know, base hits run the base. Oh, so you get the offensive award. And then you got the most, most awards for defensively, most putouts and so forth. Then the next game in practice, you didn't get him out. You did. That wasn't a hit. That, oh, man, well, I created a monster. So I said, guys, we're, we're supposed to be for each other. We're a team. So now we have the award for the one who's the, the best, you know, cheer, encourager, whatever. Donna's wondering where all the food budget went. It's going to my little league baseball team trying to fix the monster that I did there. But the point being, team, team, let's pull for each other. And so often, even in the church, that sometimes doesn't happen. Are you really glad, and here's a good one for young people, are you really glad for your brothers and sisters to succeed, to do better in school, to do better in sports, to do whatever? We should want better for others than ourselves. How is my attitude towards other people? And then finally, yourself. How is my attitude towards my own sin? Do I hate it? Is it comfortable? Am I only trying to change the ones that aren't socially acceptable or a bit embarrassing? Yeah, I'll, I'll give those over and repent of those. Or are we willing to say, here's a line in the sand. Lord Jesus, you call me to holiness. Whether somebody else sees it or not, I want this to make a difference between us and my relationship with you and my embracing you over my sin. And finally, close with this. As we examine ourselves, we do that. 
and seek to do that rightly. But then with the table, the Lord Jesus instituted this table. And as the Scottishman Robert Murray McShane said, for every one look at yourself, your own sin, take ten looks at Jesus because he is that much greater. And that's the one to whom we come in the Lord's table. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, there is so much in this, a a wonderful mystery. And I pray just for me and all of us that we might come rightfully with the right kind of fear and trepidation and awareness of the seriousness and gravity of this, but then somehow mixed with that, the joy, the eagerness that our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus, reigns. That he has accomplished everything perfectly to pay for all of our sin, and his grace is never depleted. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And may we now enjoy and partake of that and enjoy your presence. In your name we pray, amen.